morning Jesus is speaking in this passage. He's been teaching the disciples and those who would listen about greatness and how people live together and how important everyone is to God. And then he says just the one verse we're going to focus on this morning. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. This is the word of God for the people of God. What do people who diet to lose weight, or those who work out most regularly, or those who are senior citizens that are aging best all have in common? I've read recently that what they all have in common is they do better in groups. We do better when we're supported by other people, when we're encouraged by others, when we're held accountable by others, when we're challenged by others others to do our best people overall do better in groups as human beings we do better in groups the pew research foundation came out with some research not so long ago they found after surveying people across the country that 20 percent of americans say they have no religious affiliation that's some 46 million people who have given up on organized religion. They do not trust us anymore to be their guide, to be a place of wisdom, to help them grow spiritually. They said the fastest growing category when they gave them choices in terms of religious affiliation was the last box that said, none, I have no religious preference or affiliation some 17 million of those said they were spiritual but not religious, which typically means they have no group they meet with. They're going to try to go it alone. Here at Boston Avenue, though, I have found, perhaps you have too, that being with other people who strive to grow spiritually is a catalyst for our personal growth. That when I try to help someone else it helps me grow as well and when they help me it helps them that together we do better that human beings are social beings and we do best when we walk this Christian walk with other people John Wesley understood this the thing he did differently than so many others of his age was not only did he preach and talk about revival but he organized people into groups where they could help one another. He used that New Testament phrase, that phrase from the Christian scripture, where they could watch over one another with love. He said there's no such thing as solitary religion, but only social religion. That this only works, this Christian life and this Christian faith only works when we do it with other people. If we think the greatest commandment is to love God and love your neighbor, then we have to be associating with our neighbors. We have to have affiliation. We have to work together in some kinds of ways. In Ecclesiastes, it says two are better than one in human life, that together we do better, that three strands are not easily broken. In our text today, Jesus reiterates this theme when he says for where two or three are gathered in my name 
I am there among them. It's something special happens in terms of the presence of God when we gather together, when we're seeking God, when we're seeking to be a follower of Christ, when we're talking about or praying together or studying Scripture together, it helps us grow. That's why we love it when new people come and join us. We believe they can enrich our fellowship, that they can contribute to this part of the body of Christ. But of course, we also think we can help them. That they will be better off if they join us, if they're a part of an active and vital group of Christians who are striving to be faithful followers of Christ. We love new people to come and join us. We want to help them grow. We believe we can help them grow spiritually by connecting them with others that they enjoy being with on life's journey. Christianity is a group effort. It's something we do together. How about you? Are you in a group that encourages you, that supports you, that prays for you? Are you in a group that holds you accountable to the high standards of the Christian life, that challenges you to really listen for the way that God might be leading you? Who are you one who has kind of ended up alone? Oh, you, you have come here, but do you, do you have a, another group? You see, it's not only large groups, but sometimes just one-on-one -on -one or a group of two or three, as Jesus says, that can make all the difference in terms of how we live our spiritual lives. I think we could help those who say they are spiritual but not religious if they would give us a try. But there's another group that reject religion altogether. Dr. Michael Gillian has written a book. I've put the name of it in your outline. Can a smart person believe in God? He is a theoretical physicist. He's been a professor at Harvard. He's been an ABC News correspondent, a science correspondent. He says he spends lots of time around really smart people. He said most of them believe in God, but there is this small group, rather vocal, he says, so often that say if you have any spiritual life, if you believe in God, if you participate in religion at all, that you're part of the uninformed, you're part of the ignorant masses. He says not so. He said I don't think they understand what they're losing when they say there's no such thing as a spiritual life. He uses an analogy. He says he considers the complementary views of science and religion to be like stereoscopic eyesight. He says, think about what you lose if you lose sight in one eye. He says he thinks it's a good analogy if you reject science or reject religion. For he says, if you lose sight in one eye, you know what happens is you begin to lose your depth perception. He said, if you never had that, just try it when you get home. Cover one eye and try to reach for a cup. He says, you'll probably miss on your first effort. Or he says, try to sit on a chair. You're liable to end up on the floor because you lose your depth perception if you're only seen with one eye. He says, it's the same if you reject science or reject religion, that you lose some of the depth of what we can know about human life if we're only looking with one or the other. He says we function better 
if we have both science and religion, if we're listening to the insights and the wisdom that each can provide, he talks about IQ or intelligence quotient. He says we also need to attend to our SQ or our spiritual quotient. He says he likes to call it stereoscopic faith, that we use all of our best scholarship, all of the best thinking of humanity to inform our lives. So last week, here at church, we talked about thinking deeply because we believe it's important to study and to think about our faith. But this morning, we're talking about growing spiritually and what it takes for us to grow spiritually in our lives. We have to take some steps sometimes. Growing requires that we have to take a step in faith. We have to try trusting God. Let me give you an example of what I mean. In a couple of weeks here, we'll kick off our commitment campaign. We do this every year at Boston Avenue where we ask you to think about your financial stewardship and your financial giving to God through the church. We send you a letter. I will send you a letter suggesting you give a tithe, that is 10% of your annual income. Now, I'm not the first to do this. Dr. Biggs taught me this. He sent you a letter. I know every year he was here for 33 years. But I don't know how it happens at your house, but at my house, early in my marriage, early in my time at Boston Avenue, we got the letter. Mary and I read the letter. We laid the letter aside. We forgot about the letter. Then on Saturday night, one of us would remember, tomorrow's Commitment Sunday. We're supposed to write down a number on the pledge card, and we would scramble around trying to decide what we're going to write. What are we going to do? What are we going to put down? And we would put down a number that we knew we could cover. But it was a financial decision based on the fact that we were already over-obligated. Dr. Biggs suggested 10%. We thought, 10%? We can't do 10%. I mean, we're spending everything it takes more than 100% to take care of the debt we've already accumulated. It seems like too much. Does that sound familiar? Ever happened at your house? Get the letter, read the letter, lay the letter aside. But years went by as we struggled with this until we got to the point where we realized Primarily, this was not a financial decision. This was a spiritual decision. It was a step in faith that Dr. Biggs was asking us to take. But it seemed too risky. It was scary. We would have to trust God more. I mean, if we were going to give 10%, God was going to have to give us some guidance and some help and some wisdom God was going to have to provide. Oh, yes. It is a faith decision. Giving in faith is a different thing. Paying attention to the biblical wisdom about starting with 10% is a different decision than what I can cover. If I can cover it on my own, it's not really a faith decision. I'm still taking care of it. God doesn't have to bother. Because I've got this. 
But most of us can't do that if we're going to write down 10%. If we're going to go with the Bible and write down a percentage, we need God's help. We're going to have to take a step in faith. We're going to have to take a step to trust that the Bible, the revelation of God, knows what it's talking about even in financial matters and that we'll be blessed, that we will grow spiritually if we take that step. Maybe you're still trying to control some things that you should share with God. It might be your finances like it was for us. You might be trying to control a relationship that you need to turn over to God or ask God for help with. You might be nursing a hurt or some resentment or some bitterness that you need to offer to God, to entrust to God. It would be a step in faith that you would be taking. It takes some trust to quit controlling or trying to control everything and invite God to help you deal with those things. Where are you in your spiritual life here in October 2014? What is at the center? I want you to think about where you are spiritually and what step you might need to take. We had to make some adjustments to get to 10%. What adjustments might you need to take in your life in whatever realm you need God's help? I mean, do you pray every week? Do you pray a few times a week? Or do you pray every day? If you're wanting God to lead you every day, would be the best answer. Are you meeting with a group that watches over you with love where you can share your hurts and your struggles and your obstacles and they can support and encourage and pray for you? Or are you trying to go it alone? Are you studying Scripture every day? Are you reading the Bible? Are you meeting with others to study what God might be saying? Or do you think, ah, that's for Sunday. David will help us with that. I hope that's true, but that's really not enough in terms of what God is asking of us. Or like this, if you run into somebody who irritates you, do you just discount them or disengage from them? Or do you look at it as an opportunity to share God's love and maybe say to God, help me love this person. Show me how I might share your love with this person that irritates me so much. Or show me how I need to change so that this can be a healthier relationship. Or when you have a decision to make, do you just weigh the pros and cons of it? Or do you weigh the pros and cons and then ask for God's guidance as to what to do? Or talk with someone who you think is wise in the faith that might be able to help you navigate that particular decision. The Bible says we would do better if we would engage with our brothers and sisters in Christ in a vital way. Our text this morning says the same thing. Jesus points us toward each other as a way to grow stronger spiritually and as a way to grow closer to him for where two or three are gathered in my name 
I am there. I am there among them. Jesus is promising the presence of power of God to be among us if we'll take the time to be together and seek God's life in the midst of our life. Christian life is life together. It's with one another. In the risky times, we need each other and we need Jesus. In sorrowful and sad times, we need each other and we need Jesus. In times of decision, we need each other and we need Jesus. In times of celebration, we always invite others over. We want to celebrate with others. We need each other. We are happy to celebrate with each other. But at our best, we also recognize that when we're celebrating or grieving together, God is there among us. And we give thanks for God's presence. The promise in our text this morning is that I will be there among you. Jesus is there to meet our every need. And apparently it most often happens with and through others. It doesn't matter if it's a group of one or two or three or four or ten or twelve. But Jesus says it happens best when we gather together. When we recognize that we need others. You saw Adam Marlin come down and sign as Lisa was reading our text earlier from Exodus. It's part of our Disability Awareness Sunday where we're working to be more aware of those among us that might have special needs. Paula Gradney Garner and our staff is leading 